listening to the Citizens Church podcast. Citizens Church exists to saturate Bryan College Station, Texas with the good news and love of Jesus. To learn more about Citizens Church, visit us online at citizensbcs.com. Today's message is from Pastor Ben Rush. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Read with me down to verse 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is God's word. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for your word that's alive and active. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life that we can have access to the Father and the Spirit. Spirit of God, we welcome you in this place. We just say the prayer that has been prayed for thousands of years. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, we wait on you and we ask that you would speak your truth, that you would divide our heart and mind with the sword of the spirit, with the sword of your word today, that it would dig deep inside and expose our hearts. We're inviting that because we know that through that pain, there is growth and we want to grow to become more like you. If you would just take a moment and pray for yourself that you'd be able to receive everything that Jesus wants you to receive today. Just take a moment and pray. Now, if you would take a moment and pray for me that I would speak truth and that what I say would be helpful to you. We pray this all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Loneliness, deep within us, behind layers and walls and facades and notoriety, awards, recognition, we are a lonely people. We ask questions like, do people really see me? Do people really love me? If people knew who I truly was on the inside, would they love me? We are a lonely people. If you are an Enneagram 4, you love to ask these kinds of questions. You're already in your mind planning how to cancel the rest of your evening so that you can go home, open a window, turn off the lights, light a candle, and think deeply upon this question that I've just asked you. If you're someone like me, you're feeling a little emotionally manipulated and you're looking at your watch, hoping that this sermon doesn't go very long. 
Loneliness is a massive problem in our culture. Many researchers believe that there will be an epidemic of loneliness by the year 2030. According to a recent Harvard study, over 36% of Americans right now feel lonely all of the time. What's interesting is that 60% of those same people live with a partner and may have children. Loneliness. The data is concerning. Loneliness increases the risk of premature death by 29%. It is believed to be more of a problem than obesity. It is clinically more dangerous than drinking six alcoholic drinks per day and light smoking, which is defined as 15 cigarettes per day, which seems a little bit more like heavy smoking to me. Loneliness. And these stats existed before the pandemic, before the pandemic. And then there was the pandemic. Loneliness, it leads to anxiety and to depression and to dementia and to heart disease. A leading researcher in this field, Julianne Holt-Lundstad says, being connected to others socially is widely considered a fundamental human need. It is crucial to both well-being and survival. Loneliness, do you feel alone? And is there a practice or a teaching in the way of Jesus that addresses this ache? Yes, thank you for asking. Look back with me at Hebrews chapter 10. I want to point out something interesting that you may not have noticed. In just seven verses, 14 words imply plurality. Brothers and sisters, we, us, our, together, one another, and on and on. And if you were to follow the thread throughout the New Testament, you would see this plural grouping of words such as us, we, our, together, one another, and that it focuses more and more intently on this and forms a new identity, a new identity. The dominant title that was used to describe this community's identity was not followers of Jesus. It wasn't Christians. It wasn't disciples, but it was something else entirely. We see hints of it here in Hebrews chapter 10. The Greek word is adelphoi, adelphoi. It is a gender neutral term that means brothers and sisters. It is why I preach primarily from the NIV, NRSV, NASB 2020, the NET and the NLT, because there are other translations that I did not list that force the word adelphoi to say brothers only. And I think our sisters matter. In fact, 342 times in the New Testament alone, the word Adelphoi is used. I think that it's important that it includes sisters. So, brothers and sisters is the term that's used here. The New Testament writers really, really, really wanted us to understand that what Jesus was coming to do in his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and exaltation was to redeem our relationship to God and to one another. The dominant description of the New Testament community that Jesus is forming is family. I want to look at another place where this pops up. If you'll turn left to Mark chapter 3. Mark 3. We're going to see how it plays out in the life of Jesus. Mark 3, verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. 
standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Verse 33, Jesus responded, who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at those sitting in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. I wanna ask a few questions here. First question, throughout the gospel, what does Jesus call father? I'm sorry, I gave you the answer. (laughs) That wasn't supposed to go like that. What does Jesus call God? Oh yeah, I set you guys up. I really wanted y'all to respond to that one. The second question, in this passage, who does Jesus say his mother, his brother, and his sisters are? Those who do the will of God the Father. And those people are the people that are sitting around him in a circle. In other words, his community is his family, his Adelphoi. New Testament authors believe that Jesus opened the door from from, from people from a, different tribes and different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic backgrounds to form this new family, to know God as their father and to know one another as brothers and sisters. As Galatians chapter three, verse 28 says, there's therefore no Jew or Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ. Jesus's vision for the church was a diverse group of people who because of his life, death, and resurrection were reconciled to God and adopted as his children and have now become a new family, a new community of people who love each other deeply and have thought, uh, have a through thick and thin loyalty to one another that expands far beyond the reaches of a couple hours on a Sunday night and moves deeper and deeper and deeper into the entirety of their lives to actually embody the love of the Father and truly become a family. Those who follow Jesus into this diverse family, they were male and female. They were reflecting the Imago Day in Genesis chapter five. They were from different backgrounds, as I said. There are many pictures of this throughout the New Testament and the gospel specifically. One that immediately comes to mind, I wanna point out the relationship between the 12 disciples, two of which I want to highlight specifically, Simon the Zealot and Levi or Matthew. Do you know much about these two? Matthew was a tax collector Simon the Zealot was politically aligned with the Roman government. Simon, he worked against the Roman government through aggressive guerrilla warfare while Matthew's tax collecting party worked for the government. Scott Sauls puts it like this. Simon was a right-leaning small government guy who believed the state should keep out of people's business. Matthew was a left-leaning big government loyalist making a career out of collecting taxes for the state. Politically, these two men were in direct opposition to one another, yet they lived together in the context of community as apprentices of Jesus. Matthew and Simon, the zealot, were friends. This is culture as Jesus defines it, where loyalty to Jesus and his kingdom and his community always, always, always exceed our loyalty to any other agenda or preference. It would have been as if a MAGA supporter and a Bernie Sanders donor were hanging out all the time. 
I mean, it's just, it boggles the mind to think about these two men and how they lived with one another. We have no concept of this in 2022 because we have settled for what David Brooks calls tribalism, which is the dark twin of community. We have divided about all kinds of different things over the last two years. Think about the people that you used to talk to on a regular basis two years ago that you no longer talk to because of COVID vaccinations, COVID masks, January 6th, critical race theory, Christian nationalism, political polarization, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis now sending immigrants to Martha's Vineyard, Bro versus Way, the Supreme Court, and on and on and on. We have devoted ourselves and divided into tribes, which are pseudo-communities. Tribalism is based on fear and community is based on trust. Tribalism is centered around mutual hate and community is centered around mutual love. Tribalism is based on who we are against. Community is based on who we are for. Tribalism divides, community unites. I wanna look at one other place, another example of a Delphoi. Jesus formed this community And we see it play out in Romans chapter 16. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but if you would turn there briefly. Paul's got this letter he writes to the church in Rome, several house churches scattered throughout. And there's just a list of names, lists and lists of names. I just want to highlight a few Phoebe is a female Gentile. She's a pastor in, in a church. She's possessed uh, some sort of social position and wealth. By the way, there are 27 names listed here. 11 of these names that are listed are females. There's two groups of people that aren't listed by names that are just of a household. I'm not gonna list all the names partially because it's long and partially because I can't pronounce all of these names. There are males, there are females. Some are Gentile, some are Jew. Some are Latin, some are slaves, some are free. Some are uh, Greek. And there's a couple that really stand out to me. I've already listed Phoebe, she's amazing. There's another one. I like to talk about Prisca, her other name in other places is Priscilla. She's the co-founder of the church in Ephesus. She's always named before her husband, Aquila. She was an apostolic leader. She was a church planter. She's amazing. Down further, you see Rufus and the mother of Rufus. What's, what's amazing, what scholars think is that Rufus, he was the son of Simon of Cyrene. If you remember who Simus of Cyrene was, he was the, the man that carried Jesus' cross to Golgotha. His mother is there as well. There's some amazing people here. It's very, very, very diverse. It's beautiful. I can't think of a longer, better picture of diversity in in the church other than Romans chapter 16. We could go on and on throughout the New Testament to see the picture of Adelphoi, brothers and sisters from very diverse backgrounds becoming one. And so question, if communities formed a family are the primary way that Jesus is creating this new community. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? I think there are two reasons that really stand out to me. The first one is intimidation and the second one is idealism. First, intimidation. 
Think about living in community, being fully known by someone. It's a little scary. Just kind of airing out all of your stuff to someone else. I think most people don't go to community because they think that they're going to be in that kind of setting where like from week one, they're going to be expected to share like their worst sin. And although that is what we do in community, just kidding. (laughs) Just seeing if you're paying attention. Uh, Yeah, we don't do that. Um, Living in community is scary. We all want to be known, but what if when we are truly known, we aren't really accepted? There's a little four chart quadrant here that I want to show you guys that talks about uh, what I'm trying to communicate. On one side, you see not accepted. On the other side, you see accepted. At, At the top, you see known and not known. If you're known by someone, but you're not accepted, you, you feel rejection, right? It's not a good feeling. When you're not accepted and you're not known, you walk into a place, nobody really knows me, and they also don't accept me. I'm just a stranger. It, I'm going to slide in, slide out. When I am not known, but I am accepted, I try to be impressive, Nobody really knows who I am, but I really want people to recognize what I'm doing. So I'm trying to be impressive. But if I am known and accepted, that is when I am truly loved. And that is the goal of a Jesus community, to be truly known and to be truly accepted. We are at our best with the people that we love the most. Think about it. We're at our best. We are also at our worst with the people that we love the most. All right, is it just me? Yeah, I can think of many times I do some really silly things around four other people that live at my house, my wife and my three kids, and and my worst comes out because I feel comfortable with them. But God uses that as a redemptive measure to form me more into the image of Christ, hopefully. And I apologize and I get on my knees and repent and I try to become more like Jesus. I'm at my best when I'm around them. I'm at my worst when I'm around them. I love them the most. And this is why we are intimidated. This is why we experience that fear. The second challenge of community is idealism. Now, idealism is a little bit harder to recognize because we moralize our preferences. We look at what we want and we we decide they're right because this is my preference and it's right. And you're wrong If you don't like what I like, you're just wrong. We moralize them and we take it a step further. Actually, you're wrong because you don't do what I like to do. We we go further into character assassination. Idealism is hard to recognize because we aren't always honest with ourselves. It messes up most relationships. When we aren't realistic about our expectations, It ruins relationships. It destroys relationships. And we make the same mistake in community. Diedrich Bonhoeffer has this quote that I read every time I preach about communities, and this is what it says. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves the dream of community more than the community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. 
even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial, the man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God and himself accordingly. We come in with a heart posture of demand rather than one of grateful reception. So within citizens' communities, I just want to explain some, give us some healthy expectations of what communities are and what they are. We talk about them a lot up here. And so last week we talked about the Christ-like. This week we're talking about the communal life. If you didn't figure that out already, Next week, we're gonna talk about the charismatic life. And we're just, in these three weeks, we're just looking at the types of people that we wanna become as followers of Jesus and also as a community that's following Jesus together. It's very important that we jump into community. But I want us to have some healthy expectations. If your expectation is that everyone in your community will be your best friend forever, community will never work. If it works out that way, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty awesome. Normally, it doesn't happen that way. Friendship is based on chemistry. It's based on personality. It's based on stage of life. None of that is bad. It's just hard to see if that's gonna happen. I mean, you just don't know. When you don't know someone, you don't know if that's gonna happen. Family is different than friendship. Think about it. We don't get to pick our family. You may get along with your parents and your brothers and your sisters and your aunts and your uncles and your cousins and your grandparents, or you may not. Either way, you show up for Christmas because there's going to be free food and gifts. Unless there's some crazy uncle that you're just like, I don't need to go see that guy. He's, I just need to avoid him. Basically, other than weird circumstances, which some of us have experienced, including myself, family is for life. If we are to live the Jesus life, we have to live in community. Following Jesus and real spiritual formation does not happen outside of the Jesus community. If you were to search through your Bibles, listen to me. If you don't hear anything else, I say, this is something I want you to say. I want you to hear. The Bible, if you go through the New Testament, nowhere in there does it talk about a personal relationship with Jesus. Wait, what, what did you say? No, it's not in there. But what is in there is this pruning and this painful thing that we have to go through to fight for our formation to become more like Jesus where we are in community with other people. 59 times there is a command in the New Testament and it says to love one another, pray for one another, believe the best in one another. 59 times. Nowhere does it say, I hope your relationship with Jesus, you're, yeah, I hope it's really good. Now, we want that to be true. Solitude, silence, fasting, prayer, those things are important. But we can lie to ourselves about what God is saying and what God's not saying. And that's why it's very, very important that we get into community with other people because we might get off on an island thinking that we're doing something amazing for God's kingdom, but the only person that's talking to us is ourselves. And we need somebody with a little bit more maturity. I need this to come around me and say, hey, Ben, 
you preach a good game, but bro, your life, oh my gosh, or whatever. Like you did this thing the other day and it was pretty rude. And I'm like, you're right, that was terrible. And then I beat myself up for 48 hours. No, not really, but yes, I do that. We have to get into community with people to see who we really are. Jesus uses the context of community for spiritual formation. Jesus wants us to have a graduate level degree in community, all right? Grad level degree. Here's 101. You join a community, it's amazing. It's like nothing else you have ever experienced in your entire life. You have so much fun. These people are so great. You're going to eat after the Sunday gathering tonight. You're going to meet up on Monday nights to hang out Tuesday. Jason's got the barbecue out. Everyone's coming over. The kids are going to jump on the trampoline. So what the heck? Wednesday is community. Thursday, Sarah invited all the adults to pray, which is really awesome, and it was great. Friday, everyone meets up at Dave's place to help him finish out that deck that he's had on the list for two months, I mean two years. And Saturday, you go to the Aggie football game together, and then you start it all over again on Sundays. 101 community. It's beautiful. It's like the honeymoon phase. Nathan and Corinne, they've been married two weeks it was, it's great right now. It's awesome. <laughs> just wait, Corinne. I really know Nathan. I'm just joking. I'm playing. 201 level community. This is what happens. The spark grows dim. Apathy sets in. The enthusiasm wears off. The semester starts to settle in. What was once fun is now sort of boring. That's all there is for 201 level community. 301 level community is like this. It's when your junk starts to come to the surface and you're pretty comfortable with these people so the real you starts to come out and it turns out that the real you is a jerk. Speak for myself only. You can't hide your stuff anymore. Your preferences on what you're going to eat for dinner and who's going to eat for dinner and all that. Wait, who's going to eat? Who's going to cook for dinner? All of that starts to come out. Where you're going to meet, what you're going to do, how things are going to go. You just start to knock into each other with your preferences and all of these other things starts to start to come up to the surface parenting styles. If you're around other parents, you're like, I can't believe that guy just said that to his kid. What the heck? For some of y'all that don't have kids yet, you're like, oh my gosh, that guy just said that to his kid. What the heck? (laughs) Parenting styles, grooming habits, or that guy, John, that always has the same prayer request for his cat. Like, John, dude, bless you, brother. 301 level community. All of this stuff just starts to come to the surface. You become negative. You become critical. You become cynical. You become analytical. If we did it like this, it'd be way better. Oh my gosh. Or you start to feel like, wow, stuff is really starting to get deep here. I'm out. I don't want to talk about me. I don't really want to listen to your stuff, to be honest with you. I didn't know I was going to have to tell people about my family of origin or that my dad did that to me or that my mom says this to me. I didn't know that I'd be held accountable. I don't like this. 
And this is when we begin to avoid community. The thought of community makes us anxious. We don't feel secure because we've never felt secure. We bring in all of the attachments that we've made throughout life and we apply them to the attachments in relationship. We think that just because somebody else did this this certain way that I, I this is what this is what's going on right now and I don't like it and so I'm going to leave. That's 301. But if you stick with it and you move on to the next level, it's 401, level community. We're on our way to a graduate level degree, somebody. Are y'all with me right now? I mean, we need a grad degree. Here you just start to settle in, 401. You accept the fact that Josh doesn't take showers and that's okay because he's a son of the king. He is a part of the Imago Day, And you just sort of accept the awkwardness of it all. You embrace it. You just, hey, this is what it is. 501 level community, you embrace vulnerability. You embrace accountability. You start to let your idealistic, romantic, unrealistic expectations go and you start to try to live and look more like Jesus. Following Jesus is hard and this is hard, but you sense that the spirit of God is at work inside of you and so you're committed. You're like, I'm going to this thing. I'm going to this thing. I'm not gonna miss it. Master's level community is when you finally reach health. You live in community with people that do not think like you. They do not act like you. They do not vote like you. They are actually nothing like you. They're younger than you are. They are older than you are. They don't look like you. They don't have kids. They do have kids. You have a spouse. They do not. They live in a 3,000 square foot, two-story house in a master plan community, and you live in a studio apartment you intentionally commit and protect times with these people at grad level community because of one commonality that I share with them and only one, and that is Jesus who has been crucified and on my behalf. And I'm a jacked up, messed up sinner and so are you. And I'm, I'm at a point in my maturity where I can see that. And I could care less if you don't watch Aggie football. And I could care less if you drive a, I don't know, a Prius or something like whatever. Like we're, we're just going to look past some of that stuff. Because I need you and you need me. We need to be in each other's lives because there are some edges that need to be shaved off. That probably should have been shaved off in parenting, but they weren't. And so here I am and this is who I am. And so would you help me? I need your help. That's graduate level community. Okay, so at this point, you might be wondering, what do we do? How do we do this? I just wanna go over a quick vision of what we are trying to accomplish at Citizens. We're going to make some mistakes. I just wanna say that from the front, but I also want to promise you that when we make mistakes, I will come up here and I will be the first one to say, we tried it. We tried to go this one direction. It didn't work out. I tried to push us too fast in this one direction and I shouldn't have pushed too fast. And I will say, I was wrong. I will apologize. I will repent and I will learn from it. We're trying. Every semester that comes, we're trying a new way, a new approach. Just slightly tweak it just a little bit. What did we learn last semester? How can we apply it this semester? But it always goes back to Acts chapter two, verse 42 through 47. That's kind of our starting point. If you'll turn there with me. Acts 2, 42. 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's real basic, guys. We look at this and we say, as as much as we can see, this is a snapshot. This is a picture of what the early church looked like. It wasn't perfect. Go read 1 Corinthians. There was a dude in the church that was sleeping with his mother-in-law. Church wasn't perfect. Maybe it was his stepmom. I think it was his stepmom. Even better. <laughs> Disgusting. The early church was jacked up. They were just trying to do what they felt like Jesus had called them to do. He's floating up into outer space being like, see you later, guys. Go wait. Go pray for the promise. I want you to be my witnesses around the globe, right in your neighborhood. You're gonna receive power. 5,000 people get saved, plus however many else were there. That group of people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching which is this that we have, the New Testament. That's what that is. To fellowship, hanging out with one another. To breaking of bread and to prayer. There is something holy about just being around a table, eating a meal with somebody. Some stuff comes up that you thought you'd never say to anybody else alive. And you're like, I can't believe I just said that. And then it's out there and then you have to deal with it. Or maybe it's a dream that you're like, man, I... I can't believe I just said that. And they're like, hey, I want to help you make that happen. Just sitting around a table, breaking bread, praying with one another. I was making fun kind of in a way, not intentionally of whatever our example earlier was. Sarah inviting everybody over to the house on Thursday night to pray. That would be beautiful. I think there's a group of college students that meets every morning at 6 a.m., right? Am I right? Every Thursday at 6 a.m., if you want to be a part of that we want to be a house of prayer. We want to be known as a people of prayer, right? So I'm not, making, I'm not making fun of that. I'm not dogging that. It's important that we're people of prayer. All the believers, they're together. They're selling stuff that they have. What would it be like if, if in one of our communities, we've got five right now, what, if, what would it be like if in one of our communities, somebody was like, man, my card, I just totaled it. And in that community, everyone was like, you know what? We are going to raise some money. I don't know how much money we're gonna raise, but we're gonna raise some money. We're not telling him about it or we're not telling her about it. We're gonna raise some money. We're gonna get this person a car. What would it be like? That'd be, that'd be amazing. I've never been a part of a church like that. I wanna be a part of a church like that, that sees one another's needs and they just step in. I think we're doing that already to a large degree and it's exciting to see. We're just at the beginning of this. Every day they met together and in the temple courts. They met in houses, they met in homes. They met at the temple courts. That's why for citizens, we say, hey, Sunday's great. Wednesday community is awesome. 
we're saying we don't, we're not going to pick one or the other. We want to do both really well. And if we had to pick, we really want to do communities well. We want to do them really well. We used to say this, and I haven't said it in a long time. If you have to choose between coming to a Sunday gathering or a community on a Wednesday night, go to community. If you're like, my week is crazy. I just can't do both. I need four hours somewhere, cut Sunday night out and go to community. Because then you're having a meal with someone, you're sitting across the table with someone, you're getting to know someone, they're getting to know you, and you're getting to know God together. You're practicing spiritual formation with one another. So we're gonna read scripture together. We're gonna pray together in in our communities. We're gonna worship together, eat a meal together. Here's the ask. Here's my ask. Now that you know all of this, and I could say so much more, two or three more sermons, I could definitely preach. The challenge that I have for you is to join a community. For one year, commit to that community. Push past all of the stuff at 301 where you're like, this is lame, I don't like these people. Why am I here? Because you'll never get to the other stuff that Jesus talks about and the New Testament uh, writers talk about unless you push past the point of discomfort. It just doesn't happen. That applies to every other area of your life and mine. We have to push past the point of discomfort if we want to become the type of people that Jesus talks about. Here's my question. Are you lonely? Are you lonely? Lonely. Are you a part of that 36% that's lonely? Will you be a part of the growing percentage of people that are lonely? The New Testament writers assume two things. One, that you are in community, not church on Sunday. And two, that it would be really, really, really messy. And that, that people would have to accept you and you have to accept people that you normally wouldn't want to be around, that you want to honor all of a sudden and, and, and that they want to honor you and you want to instruct them and they want to instruct you. You want to help one another. You want to bear with each other and confess to one another and really love one another. As scary as all of this is, spiritual formation happens nowhere but in community. A call to follow Jesus is a call to community. Are you lonely? Are you lonely? Psalm 68 verse six says this, God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. That's what he's trying to create. That's what he's building. Not a building, not an address, not a place you go to on Sundays once a week, but a family. Would you bow your heads with me? I just want to ask you two questions. They're going to be up on the screen because even though they're simple and there are only two of them, if you're like me, you'll forget them. So there they are. I want to ask you two questions. What is God speaking to you? And what is the first step that you can take to respond? What is God speaking to you? What is the first step that you can take to respond? I want to give you a couple of minutes to consider that in the quiet. Thanks for joining us today for the message. We hope it was encouraging to you. To learn more about Citizens Church, including gathering times and locations, or to give financial support, please visit citizensbcs.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Citizens Church podcast.